That's life. That's life. That's what all the people say. You're riding high in April, shot down in May. But I know I'm gonna change that tune. When I'm back on top, back on top in June. Greetings from Podcastville. Today is October 10th. Good morning, y'all. Today, I'm going to do a uh, solo podcast. It's going to be... It's going to be an open tabs. I haven't done this, done one of these in a while. So we're going to get this started again. For those of you, those of you who do not know, an open tabs is where we uh, sit down. I go through my open tabs on Safari, and uh, I talk to you about what I've been googling, the things I've been googling, and maybe you can learn a little bit of something, or it might even be some bullshit. Whatever. It's it's. I Google things throughout my time uh, existing here on this earth. I look things up a lot, and so uh, there's a lot of random things that I look up, and also things that are, you know, useful information. So hopefully you can find something useful out of this. If not, uh, just a little bit of entertainment for maybe your morning commute. I know a lot of people listen to this driving to work. The weather's finally getting nice. Talk about, uh, you know, let's talk about my day, I guess. Um, The weather's... Finally cooling down. We're finally getting some cooler weather today. I think right now is probably in the 70s. Let's check. 66. So it's nice out right now. Drinking my morning cup of joe. Outside, sitting in the backyard. You know, before we get this started, let me talk about my sponsors. Yeah, I don't have any. But I'll shout out some friends. So uh, let's start here. Greetings! This episode is brought to you by Pfizer. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Definitely not brought to you by Pfizer. Scumbags. This episode is brought to you by King Concrete, my friend, Mr. King, does amazing concrete work here in the Bolverde Spring Branch, North San Antonio areas. All the way out to parts of New Braunfels, Bernie, whatever you need, Blanco. He lays all the best concrete. Uh, Yeah, he lays the best pads, sidewalks, driveway extensions. So if you need concrete work, uh, look up King Concrete or give me a shout and I will link him. Uh, It's also brought to you by... Let's see, who else got things going on? Who I could shout out. Um, Suzanne Cinnabons. I got a friend who makes cinnamon buns, cinnamon rolls. Some amazing cinnamon rolls. So if y'all need some cinnamon rolls for the, uh, the winter, the cooler weather, maybe the Thanksgiving dinner, Halloween, whatever you need, just uh, contact me and I will link you to her. For the best cinnamon rolls, uh, north of San Antonio. 
who else, who else? This episode is also brought to you by just you guys, I guess. Um, if you all need anything, you know, uh, if you need anything in terms of, I don't know, just anything from the community, just contact me and I'll see if I can link you with somebody who can help. So thank you guys for listening to the podcast, giving me a reason to do this. I do this, a lot of times I do this just because it's fun for me, but I also, I also do this because I know that there are people who enjoy it. People like to listen on their morning commute, on their walks, whatever it may be. A shout out to my friend Kay, Kay Overstreet. She's about to finish uh, 75 hard. Uh, yeah, she's crushing it. She's gone, I want to say 71 days of uh, complete discipline. She has to work out twice a day, eat clean, drink a gallon of water a day, and she's absolutely crushing it. Her partner, Emily King, is helping her out. Her partner is also doing Emily King. Not partners and like lover partners, even though, you know, maybe. But Emily King and Kay, y'all are crushing it. Good job. All right, let's get this started. Open tabs, episode, I want to say episode four. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but anyways, let's get started. First open tab. What are desert termites? No, no. Okay, I think this one, that wasn't exactly what I googled. Let me go back, because then I'm lying to y'all. I need to go exactly to what I googled so that we could start there. All right, so I googled Texas flies after rain. And then, because recently we had a strong rain, like a a quick uh, little storm come through. It was about a one or two day storm where it rained pretty good. Uh, This was about, I'd like to say about a week ago. And there was a ton of little bugs that were flying. Um... Yeah, they're flying everywhere. They're coming into our gym. I'm sure they were coming into people's garages and just dying when they got into the... I was weird. They were just like dying when they got into the garages and whatnot. And so I Googled it and I found out they are desert termites. That's what they're called. So based on a few different websites, here's what I'm reading. Right after a spring storm, right after a spring rainstorm, the environment is perfect for flying termites to leave the leave the nest and find a mate so they can start a new colony. Terminex. <clears throat> Let's see what Terminex has to say. Does rain increase flying termite activity? During the spring, it's not unusual to see flying termites after a rain. These swarmers, also known as alates, alates, typically emerge from the ground, tree stumps, or cracks in the foundation of homes and buildings. Their job is to deport from the nest, depart, excuse me. Their job is to depart from the nest, find a mate, and establish a new termite colony, one that might eventually be home to thousands or even in rare cases, millions of offspring. Why do termites come out when it rains? When it rains, the temperature and moisture levels in the environment change, which affects the way the termites behave. In order to survive, termites require certain conditions to start new colonies. 
Increased rainfall tends to make conditions more ideal for termites and bad for homeowners who may discover these pests at work inside their walls of their homes. Damn, they fucking inside the walls? Swarmers develop during the late winter months based on signals from the queen that allow them to develop into reproductive stage termites. So they will be ready for condition for ready for when conditions are favorable for their survival. Spring rains and warmer temperatures cue the termites that their time for swarming has arrived. There you go. So the bugs y'all were seeing are desert or excuse me, are they desert? Um flying termites. That is what y'all were seeing. All right. Let's go to the next one. What is more nutrient dense? <clears throat> My girlfriend and I were talking about this. What is more nutrient dense? Beef liver or chicken liver? So, based on the first link, again, this is okay. So, I'm using Google. So, I'm just taking information that should be unbiased. It should. Not to say that there are some of this stuff, there is some of this stuff that is biased, right? But I will try to find what is unbiased and share that information with you. But on some of these, <clears throat> I'm just going with the first available information based on Google. So, what is more nutrient-dense, beef liver or chicken liver? Chicken liver is higher in minerals like selenium and iron but as a whole, it doesn't reach the same level of superfood as beef liver. Beef liver is significantly more nutritionally dense and provides a variety of vitamins and minerals to cover all your micronutrient needs. So I've been eating, I've been eating uh, these little livers. Let's see. For about the last three months, I've been on and off. But I can tell you when I was eating chicken liver... I did feel this, this like a uh, surge of energy and this surge of focus. It was like, um, I was almost like a, reached a, a different level of hyper focus. I would eat these chicken livers before bed and I would find myself laying in bed with a little bit more energy and focus than I did prior to eating it. Uh, it's odd, but it could be because of the nutritions in these livers, which I'm assuming it is. Um, so yeah, there you go. I enjoy it. I do it before workouts. I feel like, uh, it does help. And so if y'all are looking to eat some chicken livers or beef livers, we do it raw. We just, uh, what we do is we, uh, get them from, let's see, either, I believe it's called Pure Pastures or Farm Connection, one of the two. I don't remember. Again, any information that I share on this, you got questions about, feel free to hit me up. I can share with you uh, the different things that I'm learning and, and my my daily protocols. But uh, I get these chicken livers, chop them up, freeze them on a like a cookie tray on wax paper or parchment paper, and then one, I I put them into each into like uh, small chunks, maybe the size of, uh, let's see, let's say like a, a baby's hand, 
Let's say, yeah, that would be a good way to describe it. Or like uh, two Gatorade caps put together. That's about the size that they are. So uh, I put them on parchment paper or wax paper, throw them into the freezer, and then once they freeze, I peel them off the paper and throw them into a large uh, glass jar that I throw into the freezer. And then every day when I'm going to get one, I just open that jar up, take one out, thaw it, and then uh, once it's thawed, I just throw it in my mouth and drink some water to wash it down. So, <clears throat> there's that one. Alright. Next one. Bees, oh boy. Bees dying from ejaculation. Did y'all know that bees die from ejaculation? They just get that good, good, and they, and boom, dead. All right, so this one's called beeculture.com. When male worker bees are subjected to very high temperatures, their bodies begin to convulse which forces them to ejaculate their abdomen-sized penis equivalent out of their body and die from the shock. Let's see. UBC News. Let's find a good one. B Mission. Alright, let's see. As it turns out, the male honeybee or drone suffers an extremely painful death during heat waves. We may think they die from heat stroke, but in fact they ejaculate until they die. Scientists have distur Scientists are disturbed by this discovery. The male bees get overheated, convulse, and explosively ejaculate themselves to death. The phallus that bursts from their lifeless bodies is the size of their abdomen. Interesting. Drones always die after they mate. Good grief! Imagine only getting to have sex one time and you die. We got it good, folks. We got it good. It says drones contain an entire phallus inside them. Their abdominal muscles contract very strongly when they mate. The same thing happens when they die for stress-induced reasons that we don't understand. Let's see. What is a phallus? We'll Google something new. Maybe I should know this. A phallus is a penis. All right. Well, there you go. All right. On to the next one. What's the difference between Hardee's and Carl's Jr.? I was having a conversation with a buddy of mine. I'm sure y'all have heard of Hardee's. Hardee's is like a, a burger fast food place that is common, uh, I think in Texas, maybe not in Texas, but at least in more of the central and eastern parts of the United States. Carl's Jr. is uh, very similar, or at least that's what I understood it as, is like the sister company to Hardee's. That was common on the west coast. So, Carl's and Hardee's signs and menus look exactly alike, down to that cherry little, cheery little star logo. Are they, exact same, are they the exact same restaurant owned by someone who couldn't decide on a name? The two burger chains started out as totally separate entities, one on the West Coast and one in the Eastern U.S. Carl's Jr. is the elder of the two, founded as a Los Angeles hot dog stand in 1941 by Carl Karcher. 
business thrived, and five years later, there were five full-sized Carl's Drive-Ins barbecue restaurants, which then they began serving hamburgers. Before long, burgers were the chain's best-selling menu item, so Karcher decided to open a separate group of small, quick-service burger joints, dubbing them Carl's Jr., Wilbur Hardy opened his first restaurant in North Carolina in 1960. Soon, Hardy's became a familiar fast food site in the Midwest and South. Hardy's corporate strategy was to open restaurants in smaller towns that were not served by McDonald's or Burger King. And by all accounts, it paid off. By the early 90s, there were more than 2,500 Hardy's locations, making it the country's fourth largest fast food chain. In 1997, Carl Karcher Partnership CKE Restaurants acquired Hardee's for $327 million. The move was an opportunity for Carl's Jr. to quietly expand into the East without agitating Hardee's existing customers. They kept the name and, at first, the menu that folks were similar with. The partnership started to introduce Carl's menu items to Hardee's locations in the early 2000s. There you go. So they didn't start off as the same, but one was acquired by the other, and they became one. All right, durian. Y'all know what durian is? Durian is that super, super smelly fruit. I believe its um, its origins are um, East Asia, I believe. Let's see, durian origin. Originated from Burney Island, Borne, Borne Island. Uh, I believe maybe it's Southeast Asia is where it's common. Like uh, Malaysia, Indonesia. And durian is the super smelly fruit. Durian is banned from a lot of places, let's see. That's how that's how much it smells. <clears throat> Meat durian. It's banned from many hotels and flights. You can't transport it because it smells so bad. Despite being a delicacy, the fruit is banned for transportation in countries like Thailand, Japan, Singapore, and Hong Kong. Alright, durian. I don't know why I looked it up, but I did. Okay. What type of animal is a deer? Oh, I was talking about this, about what they're called. And they're considered hooved animals. And there's a, a, another a suborder of them called ruminants. So deer or cervids belong to the order Artiodactyla the hooved mammals with an even number of toes on each foot, and the suborder ruminant, the cud-chewing plant eaters. There you go. They're called ruminants. Okay. Let's see what we got here. Southwest Airlines. Y'all don't need to know about my flight plans. A fuse box diagram. You don't need to know about that either. Okay, okay. 
15 most popular hard seltzer brands. This is, oh, oh, this is just 15 popular hard seltzer brands ranked worst to best. So, hard seltzer for you hard seltzer drinkers. I drink some on my own, too. I drink those Topo Chico uh, margarita ones. Those are pretty solid. Last, Bud Light Seltzer. This one is probably bias, but uh, I'll just run through this list so you guys can see um, some popular brands of self seltzers if you want to try them. Bud Light Seltzer, I've had it. I like the Bud Light sodas. Those are really good. Calidad, Agua Fresca. Never had that one. White Claw Surge. Never had those ones. I'm not a fan of White Claws. They give me acid reflux. Or, or uh, wait, is it White Claw? Yeah, it is White Claw. Truly, I had never really had much of those. There, I mean, I think I, maybe I've had one. Thought it was okay. Spindrift Spiked. Never heard of it. The Shell House. Never heard of it. High Noon. I heard these are pretty good. Um, I'll have to try these. Topo Chico, I like those ones. The margarita ones, they have like a watermelon flavor, um, regular margarita, tropical pineapple or something. Those are good. Kona Spiked Island Seltzer, Vizzy, never had those. Twisted Tea, mm, I've had one of those, they're okay. Simply Spiked, wow, Simply, the juices, like a Simply Orange Juice, they're moving into the alcohol game. Ashland, Brewery X, and Corona Refresca Hard Tropical Punch. I'm going to have to try these. These are interesting. I'm going to have to try these for sure, the Corona ones. If y'all got a favorite or y'all got something I should try, let me know. I'm not a fan of like IPAs and whatnot, but the seltzers are okay. If you're going to tell me White Claw, get the fuck out of here. I don't like White Claw, but I'm open to try other things, so let me know, y'all. All right, what causes a Baker cyst behind the knee? I had a Baker cyst behind my knee, or what I believe was a Baker cyst. A Baker cyst, for anybody who may not know, is a cyst that grows behind the knee, and it's filled with fluid. A lot of times, it is caused by... Uh, pain in the joint or damage to the joint such as the uh, like meniscus or uh, damage to the cartilage and so there's fluid and swelling that occurs behind the knee it says a baker cyst is caused by swelling in the knee the swelling occurs due to an increase in synovial fluid the fluid lubricates the knee joint so I had this cyst in the back of my knee it was like a bump like you could feel it and uh, I thought it was just like general swelling, but then uh, I was playing volleyball on a Thursday night and I jumped up and when I jumped up and fully extended my leg, I felt a pop uh, and I believe that the cyst ruptured because the bump on the back of my knee went down and the pressure in my knee went away. It was painful, but the pressure went away, the bump went down and my knee started to feel better, so... Pretty sure it was a cyst, and I basically removed it on my own. All right, let's see what else we got here.
This is more what causes pain in the back of the knee. The muscles in the hand. Yeah, I don't really care about that. Um, let me find something good. Y'all talk amongst yourselves, okay? Y'all got this. Okay, here's one. Interesting. Alright, so I googled this, <clears throat> but it's a uh, Battle of Los Angeles. The Battle of Los Angeles, also known as Great Los Angeles Air Raid, is the name given by contemporary sources to a rumored attack on the continental U.S. by Imperial Japan and the subsequent anti-aircraft artillery barrage, which took place from late 24 February to early 25 February in 1942. The incident occurred less than three months after the U.S. entered World War II in response to the Imperial Japanese's Imperial Japanese Navy's surprise attack on Pearl Harbor, and one day after the bombardment of Elwood near Santa Barbara on the 23rd of February. Initially, the target of the aerial barrage was thought to be an attacking force from Japan, but speaking at a press conference shortly afterward, Secretary of Navy Frank Knox called the purported attack a false alarm. A false alarm. Alright. So it never happened. What a sham. What spiders can kill you in Texas? This is a good one. For those of you who live in Texas and may be worried you got kids who, you know, aren't familiar with spiders. What? What? Good lord. Aren't familiar with what spiders are dangerous in Texas? Texas has two venomous species of spiders, the black widow and the brown recluse. Both of these species of spiders can be found indoors and outdoors throughout the state. So, just for y'all's knowledge, the black widow is a black spider. Uh, with its underbelly, it's got red markings on the underbelly. It's black um, over the backside. Actually, on its backside, it might have red markings as well, but it's basically like a all black or mostly black, and then on its abdomen, the big belly part, it's got red markings. Um, and then the brown recluse, brown recluse is a smaller brown spider, <clears throat> and it's got a, a brown belly, and on its head and back, it's got like a what looks like the markings in the shape of a violin. So be aware, if you see that, that is more than likely a brown recluse. Other spiders should not be killed. So now you know those are really the only two spiders that are actually dangerous. Uh, the other spiders should be a let live and let live type of situation. The spiders that you see, like uh, maybe on some trees or near your house, they're yellow they're massive they're big spiders they're probably about the size of they're bigger than the size of a quarter um they spin thick webs out in the open they're not like uh, spiders that hide but they spin webs out in the open they're yellow 
These ones are called uh, orb orb weaver yellow garden spiders or orb weaver spiders. These ones are good. So befriend these ones. Those ones are good. All right. Let's see what we got here. Um, I'm deleting the ones that like lows and y'all don't care about that. The Pike's Peak Sunflower. So I was um, looking for sunflowers to plant and I came across these. This is random information, but so is this whole podcast. The Pike's Peak Sunflower is a plant that grows up to 15 feet tall. It's, let's see, the sunflower that sunflowers look up to. It's the sunflower that sunflowers look up to with the largest sunflower seeds in the world. Pike's Peak Sunflower grow 12 to 15 feet high with luminous 14-inch golden yellow flowers. That's over a foot. That's how massive the sunflower is. I like growing sunflowers. If anybody else likes growing them, please send me pictures of your sunflower garden. I'm sure we can talk about sunflowers. Just pretty lame, but I mean, I like it. It's cool. It's not lame. <clears throat> All right, what else we got here? Y'all want to know about ammo? Bulk ammo and Palmetto a Palmetto State Armory are good sites for buying ammo. Uh, bulk ammo is good. I've shopped with them a few times. Alright, here's another one. Hoka's. So, I looked up um, top running shoe brands. Let's see. Runner's World. The best running shoes of 2023. Let's see what we got here. <clears throat> Best cushioned daily. Actually, you know what? Let's change this section. I know a lot of y'all that listen are um, like trail runners. So let's look up top trail shoes. 2023. So we got a, a big group of us going to the Grand Canyon to do the rim to rim to rim. Uh, the 48 mile trek in May of next year. So let's look up the top trail shoes and give you all an idea of uh, maybe some shoes to to try or at least open you up to the ideas of different shoes. All right. So this is REI, okay? Test results. Best beginner-friendly trail running shoe. An REI, oh, okay. An RE, and REI Co-op Editor's Choice Award winner. Solomon's Sense Ride. Fours. Solomon's, okay. Best one-quiver trail running shoe. Hoka Mafate Speed 4. Best zero-drop trail running shoe. Ultra Lone Peak 6, Best Long Distance Trail Running Shoe, Brooks Cascadia 16, and Best Trail Running Shoe, Sacconi Perigen 
Peregrine, 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 Peregrine Twelves. So if you guys look up REI Best Trail Shoes, uh, they have the test stats, how many miles they put in them, the story behind the test. Um, and these are actually really nice. Yeah, these are really nice. The Solomon Senseride 4s, these are sweet. And then they also got the Zero Drop, the Ultra Lone Peaks. And then they also got Brooks. So they got the different pictures, all the uh, research on them, or at least how many miles they put in them, the story behind them. So REI Best Trail Shoes. Also, if you are looking for trail shoes, um, REI is a great place. You can go try them on, and then I think they give you a certain amount of time where you can actually put miles in them and test them out, and uh, you're still able to return them. So REI, y'all. Okay, let's see. <clears throat> Sunflowers growing on the side of the road in Texas. I'm sure all of y'all have seen the sunflowers that grow on the side of the road in Texas. Um, yeah, these are called wild sunflowers. Or Texas, let me see, Texas Wild Sunflowers. Let me find you all the exact name so that I'm not lying to you. With this, I would like to share the um, most truthful information I can find. So. Let's see here. No, maybe they're not even Texas, because I, I guess I'm seeing that they grow all over the U.S. There are many states that they grow in. Let's see here. The roadside sunflower, Helenthus anus, is a North American native annual plant that has a wide range of tolerance for soil and moisture conditions. I have, a, I have two explanations why they appear to be more prevalent on roadsides rather than open fields. Roadsides have been more recently disturbed during the construction of the road as compared to adjacent fields. All kinds of seeds germinate in the disturbed soils, and some flowers are good competitors for light due to their height. In areas that are grazed, fences prevent herds from feeding on these plants along the roadsides. So it could be that they grow well, but also that there are no herds to, <clears throat> to eat them. Okay. Let's see, what did I Google here? Can 5W20 oil be used instead of OW20? When you change the oil in your car, right, there are different types of oil. Ladies, you could learn something here if you don't already know. Men who don't know this, learn it. All right. 5W20 oil instead of OW20. What is the difference between 5W20 and OW20? It comes down to oil viscosity, which means the thickness of the oil. <clears throat> 
First, the W in any viscosity grade means winter. The lower the number, the better the formula is for colder temperatures. The number behind the W designates the operating temperature. That means that OW shows that the viscosity of the oil is O in freezing temperatures. A viscosity of zero means that the OW20 is going to be slightly lighter and thinner than a 5W20. Thus, in cold temperatures, both would flow easily, but the OW20 may flow slightly faster. Okay, let me get you all down. So, OW20 oil is ideal for cold temperatures because the operating temperature is low. 5W20 is next in line, but also works best in cold temperatures. Let's see. Since both have a 20 on the end, the performance will be relatively the same. An OW20 oil may perform better in colder temperatures since it is designed for such extremes. Similarly, 5W20 is formulated for colder temperatures. Thus, both have the same operating temperature in our cold formulas. They will perform nearly identically in winter temperatures and the same in the cold. So there's not much of a difference. So conclusion, in some cases, yes, both formulas are designed for cooler temperatures so that they will be equally thin. So most of the time, you can use them uh, in place of each other, no problem. All right. Is corn only good for one harvest? So I was growing corn this past season, and I was noticing that after I harvested... <clears throat> After I harvested my corn, that seemed like that was it. It was only one one harvest, and then after that, the corn stalks would not produce anymore, and they would die. So, corn is considered an annual. It will flower once and produce the seed, the kernels, then it will die. Some varieties will produce multiple ears on the same plant, and it is possible to harvest the first ear, then come back and harvest the second ear later before the plant dies. But their maturity will be an even but their maturity will be pretty close together. So I grew organic or excuse me, I grew organic non-GMO corn, and let me tell y'all, it sucked. It was horrible. There was like uh each ear of corn had maybe fifty percent of the kernels um filling the ear. So a lot of just like empty spots. Uh, yeah, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. So if you're going to grow corn, grow corn, grow normal corn. You don't need to grow non-GMO. Um, you're still growing it in your backyard so, or in your garden or your, your greenhouse or whatever. So you don't really have to worry about pesticides. So I would go with the good seeds that you can find to grow good ears of corn. But next season, I'm not even going to grow corn. I'll probably just grow watermelon and flowers. Those are my favorite two things to grow. So there you all go. Corn, only one time. All right. We are going to look at one more. Who is Grimace? <clears throat> So I'm sure y'all have saw like uh, McDonald's was running that Grimace shake. It was like that purple shake that they did a social media thing where they were 
showing people who got the grimace shake and then for some reason they would die or something would go wrong. So I was curious where that stemmed from. And so I googled who is Grimace. McDonaldland is a McDonald's media franchise and the fictional fantasy world inhabited by Ronald McDonald and his friends. Starting with the creation of Ronald McDonald in 1963, it is primarily developed and published by McDonald's. Who is Grimace? All about McDonald's beloved purple character who's actually a taste bud. Ronald McDonald is a clown. Mayor McCheese is a cheeseburger. Birdie is an early bird is Birdie the early bird is a bird. The hamburglar is a thief. Mac tonight is a moon. And the fry kids are well, fries. But who the heck is Grimace supposed to be? The level the lovable spherical shaped purple giant <clears throat> has always been McDonald's most recognizable one of McDonald's most recognizable characters and with his bright smile and his arms always open for a hug but fans have never quite known exactly what he's supposed to be so he's a character from McDonald's he's supposed to be a taste bud all right y'all I still got some open tabs uh, I closed out about half of them but we will finish those out there are some good ones in there so we will finish those out uh, I'll do another episode next week, and I'll uh, do it early so you can listen on your morning commute. But that is an episode of Open Tabs. I will do this more often. Maybe you can find some use out of finding some useless information. Who thought? Who would have thought, huh? Finding use out of useless information. But anyways, thank you all for tuning in if you made it this far. And uh, yeah. It is a Tuesday, and I hope you all have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Papa Giuliano, I'm out.